Our scripture today is from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, like a quick series in Colossians 1, because as we were looking over the last few weeks, it became obvious that there were these celebrity Christians who were turning away from the faith and walking away from it. And last week we kind of delved into what it means to have this preeminent Christ, this one who holds all of who God is. Everything that God wants to express about himself is shown to us in Jesus Christ. Christ, and that it is a, a God that loves us and pursues us, a God who seeks after us, and a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And it's interesting to watch what has happened with these two gentlemen that we talked about last week who have kind of walked away from, the, from their faith, and the response that those who are still in faith have given towards them. Now, there are some that have written very scathing things on their Twitters and Instagrams and little blog posts about how they must not have ever believed or they might not have ever known or, or saying that they've just walked away because they just want to keep sinning or have a sinful life. Not wondering, not seeking compassion, not understanding. And, and quite honestly, all those might be true. But a response at that time might not be to point out you're just a sinner, a big bad sinner who's always going to sin. But there have been others who have written articles and things talking about the propensity for us to lift up people, to put them on pedestals, to say that is what a Christian should be like. Now, I understand I'm in Australia and not in the U.S. And I will say in the U.S. we definitely have a larger propensity to elevate people. I've learned here that most of the time Australians don't like to be a person who is elevated and or don't like to see other people necessarily elevated above everyone else. It's that whole high poppy syndrome. Tall poppy. Wow. Here I'm in the midst of it and I just... A high puppy is different. You might like them. Uh, that's why sometimes it's good to have notes. But you get my point. And so these articles really delved into 
how we have a desire to have examples that are out there. And maybe not just examples, but a, people that we can celebrate. People that we can look at and say, look at how well they're doing it. Look at how accepted they are by everybody else. Or how much uh, they get not accepted by everybody else, right? That's the other side of it. That, that, oh, they, see, they're so persecuted. That's probably the difference between Josh and, and Marty. But Paul jumps into that here. It's not by accident that Paul, in writing this passage, has this beautiful phrase that fits right at the beginning of our passage today in verse 19 where he's talking about this Jesus, this preeminent one, this one who holds all of who God is within himself, the one who is the firstborn before creation, the one who is and was and is to come. He says this about him. And he is the head of the body, the church. You see, our desire to have someone to look up to, our desire to have someone to put on a pedestal, God recognizes that. And He says to us, right at the very beginning, that person is Jesus. That beyond any celebrity, beyond any pastor who might have to go to the States for three months, beyond anybody else, the person that you should be focused on when it comes to this, is Jesus. That He's the one who is the head of the church. Now don't feel too bad about yourself if you want to have somebody to, to, hide, uh, to, to tag on to, someone to follow. Uh, Paul had that happen in many of the churches that he was part of. We follow Apollos. We follow Paul. We were baptized by this guy. We were baptized by this person. That makes us special. That makes us more. And what Paul is saying here and reminding us is that no, it is about Jesus. He is the head. So with the rest of this passage, it reminds us who Jesus is. It gives us more depth of that. And then it reminds us who we were. Because we need to know who the church is. And so who is the church? So first let's look at who Jesus is. It says, and he, what, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means it is through him and by him that resurrection has come. That we no longer have to fear death, that we no longer have to fear destruction because he is the firstborn. He is the one who brings it about. And that in everything he might be preeminent. Check this out. Because he is the head of the church, that is what makes him preeminent. Because he is the firstborn of all creation. That's what makes him preeminent. That should tell you something about the church. It should tell you how important it is. That this idea of the body of Christ is not just an add-on. It's not just something we do, oh, if we feel like it. It's that He is preeminent. He is the one who is. He is the one who causes life. And in that, He takes you from death and puts you in 
his body. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him and to him he reconciles to himself all things, making peace. Why? By the cross. This is the Jesus that is the head of the church, the one who reconciles all things, that makes all things new as they always were, the one who brings us in and brings all other things into himself to say, I am the one who created you, I am the one who knows you, I am the one who can make you all of who you're supposed to be. It is within me, and I am the head of the church. So what comprises the body? It's this. And you. Good. You. Who once were. Oh, Paul, don't go there. (laughs) Paul, let's think about where we're at now. (laughs) Don't go there. You, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, We are the broken. We are the sinners. We are the misfits. We are the ragamuffins. We are those who could not accomplish what we needed to accomplish on our own. We are those who desire good things but move towards bad things. We are those who long for light but step into the darkness. We are those who were dead and wanted life. You once... You once were alienated and hostile, doing evil deeds. We are the enemy who long to be family. But He has now reconciled in His body of flesh His true body, His real body, His completely 100% man-made that bleeds in his flesh by his death. In order what? To present you as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That we are those who now are presented as holy, as blameless, as righteous. Listen, our identities no longer rest in where we have fallen. Our identities rest in where Christ has triumphed. We no longer have to see ourselves as those who are undone by temptation, but those who can overcome temptation. Why? Because Christ has overcome. And He's the head of the church. He is preeminent above all things. In all things, He reconciles them to Himself through the cross. He says, you no longer are that person when God sees you, when I see you, when you see yourself, you should see me. Jesus shining forth brightly, bigger and better than anything that we could ever imagine. That you are now holy and blameless. But he then says this, if indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from what the hope of the gospel that you heard and which was proclaimed to all of creation, which I, Paul, have been a minister of. That there's this sense that people who are the church, this body of Christ who is the head, we are those who once were enemies, but now we are sons and daughters. And in that we maintain being sons and daughters by His good grace holding on to us, persevering with us, holding us to Himself, which causes us to respond in obedience. It causes us to move in faith and be stable and steadfast. Where? In the hope that we have been saved. See, what tends to happen when we minimize Christ, when we familiarize Christ, when we fantasize Christ, Christ is we take our eyes off of who Jesus is and we build a false Jesus and he's not really good enough to follow he's not big enough to save us he's not strong enough to rescue us and in that we lose hope but when we focus on the preeminent Christ the one who holds all of who God is within himself the one who reveals his steadfast love and his righteous, reckless pursuit of ragamuffins and ne'er-do-wells. We see how powerful he is and our heart sings out with hope to say, yes, I believe. Yes, I will hold on. Yes, I will be kept. But here's the coolest thing. Because the problem is, we like to make it about us. And by Jesus saying, I am the head of the church which is my body, He makes it impossible for us to just sit there and let it be about us. Because the body is made up of all those whom God has called together. And then in some miraculous, weird, unexplainable, and oftentimes not understandable to us, he decides to allow those parts of his body to gather together in particular places around the world and share life together. And that body begins to express itself with the steadfast love and hope that he has. You see, we recognize that our name is Fremantle Church. That doesn't mean we are the church in Fremantle. It means we are a church for Fremantle. We're not the only expression of faith in Christ that is happening at this hour. Not here, not around the world. We're not the end-all, be-all, but we're glad that we are together and that God, for some reason, in His mercies, has drawn us together in this place at this time. Why? In order for us to hold on to the hope that God gives us by showing us that Jesus is the head. We are not saved to ourselves. We are saved to one another. So what does that look like for us as we move forward? What does that mean for us to say, Jesus is the head of the church and now I am placed in that body and so I have to act and be like Jesus? What does that mean? 
I think the first thing is this, is that we have to speak Jesus to one another. We have to speak this preeminent Christ, this one who holds all of what God is, the expression of his steadfast love and pursuit. We have to be speaking that to one another, reminding each other in our hearts that we'll turn away who God is and who Christ is and what he's done for us and what he is doing for us and what he will do for us. That he is merciful in giving us others around us who sometimes we connect with like that and sometimes we might not ever feel like we'll connect with. But in his beauty, he weaves us together in a beautiful mosaic and tapestry of his loving expression for all of humanity. And it gives us the ability to remind one another by speaking, this is who Jesus is. And this is who you are in Jesus. So, If you are here and you are following Christ and you said, this is my body, this is the people I want to hang out with, this is the gathering that I want to be with, listen, we have to remind one another who we are in Jesus, that we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were dead, but now we're alive. We once were enemies, but now we're saved. And we are sons and daughters. But if you're here and you're still trying to figure this out, listen to me. Jesus is saying, you're going to find out most about who I am as the word is proclaimed, as you study my word, but also by being part of the body. And he's whispering to you. Nay, maybe he's shouting to you today saying, I will be the head of the church and you will be a part of it. Be part of my body. I know you and I will bring you in. How amazing that is. And so we have to be about the business of speaking that to one another. One of the reasons why we worship, one of the reasons why we gather on Sunday morning, it'd be a whole lot more filling maybe in our tummies to be having brunch with our friends. But one of the reasons why we do this is not so we can check a a righteous box off. It's because we need to hear Jesus. One of the reasons why we have Bible studies is so we can hear Jesus. One of the reasons why we want you all hanging out together, how we want to be in community with one another, is so we can hear Jesus with one another. Sure, you can talk about Andy's latest show, or you can talk about other things, but we also want you to talk about Jesus. So we have to speak Jesus to one another. The second thing that we need to do is this. We need to be Jesus to one another. That means that we have to be in a loving pursuit of one another. That we can't sit back and let people just fade away. That we have to walk with a confrontation that is so comforting that it draws people in. That says, let's call you out of those places of bondage. Let Jesus call you out of those places of despair. Let Jesus call you out of those places of hurt. Let Jesus call you out of those places of broken relationship because he draws you to his body. Stephen Rarig says that we have to be Jesus with skin on. It's a pretty great term. Because too often when we minimize Jesus, we can't ever be Jesus with skin on. Because that Jesus just becomes for us. But when we see the preeminent Christ, the one who holds all of who God is, that holds his steadfast loving pursuit and shines forth about it, then it gives us the ability to recognize that he puts us in him 
And in doing that, we become Jesus with skin on for those around us. So we don't sit back and judge and we don't worry and we don't wait. We pursue in hope and love and understanding that if someone's life is going to be set free, they have to have an encounter with the living God. Because everything else is too small. That's why the body is so important. Because it's only here as we are speaking Jesus to one another that we begin to understand what it means to be Jesus with one another. And in God's miraculous mystery of planning, he says to us, and I'm going to give you opportunities to love the unlovable even in your midst. I'm going to give you opportunities to care for those who need care even in your midst. I'm going to give you the opportunities to celebrate with those who need to celebrate even within your midst that I've put you not to ever be alone because I myself am community. How gracious and lovely it is. I might have had four cups of coffee today. (laughs) I might be thinking I'm not preaching another sermon here until December. And so what do we see in this passage? When we think about those who walk away and we think about those who judge those who walk away and we think about what it's like in our own lives that we minimize and we familiarize and we fantasize Jesus and making so small, what is it in this passage that we can cling on to? It is this, that Jesus is the head of the church, his body, and you are part of it. Or you can. When I was studying this passage, I I read lots of different um, versions of the Bible. If you want to have a conversation about why there's different versions of the Bible and all that, I'll be gone for three months and maybe we can pick it up later. (laughs) But the message has this, and and this is how I'm going to end. I want to read what he says here. We look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds all of it together right up till this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like the head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From the beginning to the end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone, So spacious is He, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in Him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony, all because of His death 
His blood that poured down the cross. You yourself are a case study of what He does. At one time, you had your back turned on God, thinking rebellious thoughts of Him, giving Him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving Himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in His presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. That Jesus came as all of who God was to bring us into His self, to become His body, which is the church, for His glory. And so the invitation is for you today to either say, yes, I want to be a part of that body, or to say, who do I need to proclaim this body to? Let me pray. Father, you are good. And all you do is good. We thank you for your mighty hand. We thank you for Jesus who is and was and is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is before the beginning and He is the culmination of all things. That in Him all things hold together. That He is the head of the body which is the church that You've called us to be a part of. Let us not forsake the hope that You have given us in the resurrection that Jesus provides. You are good. And all You do is good. Let's stand and respond.